Hi, I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. I'm here today with Amanda Murphy of Amanda Murphy Design. She's one of the first CNP authors I worked with when I started, and we've done numerous projects together over the years. So Amanda, thank you so much for taking time for my call. Thanks for having me. It feels funny because we just saw each other like last <laughs> month. Yeah. But I realized when I started putting together, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about today that I have never actually asked you when you started quilting. So I started quilting, I mean, relatively late in, in terms of um, when I learned to sew. I, um, I learned to sew when I was little, but I didn't start quilting until my kids were born. Well, and you came into the industry a little bit differently than a lot of the quilters I've worked with. Can you tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, I came in through fabric. So I was a form, I was a graphic designer. I worked actually in multimedia, like basically doing really souped up. It was almost like PowerPoint presentations, but they weren't PowerPoint. It, it was a lot of Photoshop and illustration work. And I did things like annual reports and things like that. So I had a graphics background. So I came in through um, fabric. But once I discovered quilting, you know, and I realized it didn't have to fit and it was just like art with fabric, I decided I'm not doing anything else. I'm just going to quilt. <laughs> well, and one thing that always amazes me is how many irons you have in the fire. Um, can you tell us what all you have going on right now? Yeah, I, you know, I actually like doing a lot of different things. So I like bouncing off. Um, right now I have almost too much. It's crazy because I have, um, two collections for Quilt Market. And then I have a collection for, um, Bernina University coming up. And that's always my biggest show. Um, and then I have teaching, um, of course with Quilt Market and things like that, you have to make all the quilts. And then I also owe a collection to Benertex that I'm drawing now. And then um, right now I have three embroidery machines running <laughs> embroidery before our phone call. I had to turn them all off. And uh, so it's always, you know, it's interesting. But, you know, the nice thing is you, it's, it's different every day. So you might be drawing, but you might be sewing, but you might be digitizing. Um, you might, n might be writing. It just is different. And I actually like that it's different. You don't get bored. Well, and you have even more than that going on, I think, because... Don't you have, you've got relationships with a number of different companies. Yeah, I have relationships. And of course, you guys, I have um, ongoing books uh, with you guys. Um, I'm a, I'm a, a spokesperson for Bernina, an expert for Bernina. Um, and I do a lot of work with them. I also am um, affiliated with the Orifil. I'm an Orifil philosopher. And I design fabric for Benertex and embroidery collections for OESD and also quilting collections for OESD. Um, that are digitized for the long arm and domestic embroidery machines. And I'm trying to think I'm probably missing something, but, um, oh, I design rulers for brewer sewing, good measure ruler, quilting rulers. Um, so I like all parts of the process. So that's, you know, it's my biggest problem was deciding what to do because I'm interested in everything. 
So <laughs> you know that. Uh, so just yes, I do. trying to decide what has priority. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot to juggle. Um, like, so how do you manage to balance still being creative with all of the different business aspects of your various jobs? So I know, I know what I'm doing when I, I like, I, I guess I know like this week I'm doing that. I need to accomplish this, this, this. Um, there's some flexibility within that, but I am a plan. I'm, I'm an artist who's also a planner. Like I'm a total type A personality in terms of my work. And so where I let a lot of things go in terms of like, it doesn't bother me if the quilting lines off, et cetera. Um, I like to be able to plan ahead. And so I'm, I, I, I'm pretty good about scheduling out ahead of time what month I'll be working on what and when I can fit in a book and when I can fit in teaching. Of course, you're booking so far ahead. Sometimes you don't know, but in general, I, I'm pretty good. Like this week, I have a lot of embroideries to um, do, but I also have to draw a line. And so I'm, I'm, juggling those two things. So I kind of, I kind of know ahead of time. I, the only problem is I severely estimate as most of us do um, the amount of time something's going to take. <laughs> that, that's harrowing. And particularly this time of year before quilt market, you know, it's just, there's a lot of things to juggle, but I am a planner. I'm like obsessive about planning, you know, my work. You wouldn't think that to find me in an airport because Roxanne, I know you found me in an airport and taken me to my gate before because I'm, <laughs> I'm so right brained. But um, I'm actually, re- I do really like to plan far out ahead of time, you know, what I'm working on when. Do you ever find that it's difficult to kind of be creative on demand though? Like you sit down yes. and it's just, and, and, you know, for me personally, um, my creative juices, really, I'm not creative in the morning. So in the morning, I go to the gym or I answer emails. Um, I'm, my creativity comes much later in the day. And that can be frustrating because, you know, you want to go to bed, but then you're worried that when you wake up, it won't be still be in your head. Um, so like my most productive creative time is probably between four and midnight, which is frustrating. I wish it was earlier, but um, although, you know, you can sew, at least for me, I can sew anytime. Um, but a lot of times I don't hit my strides in terms of drawing until later in the day. So if I know I need to draw today, I will try to get rid of a lot of the non-creative things earlier because I, you can't really force it. And that can be frustrating, but you know, every artist goes through that, I think. Well, it, I will say you are quite possibly the busiest person I've ever known. Um, That's just because we hung out together and tried to shoot a book in two days. You know this, right? (laughs) I I do. But I also know that I hear from you all the time and that you always have at least six projects going. Um, So I've, I've often wondered if you had the time and you could just make something for yourself, what would it be? Well, I would love to make a quilt that incorporates all my collections, you know, as a fabric designer, you're always working just because of the way fabric works and sells. You're always working with a particular collection at one time because you want the stores to be able to order it. So you don't really mix back with collections that were available five years before, et cetera, because people may not be able to get it. So if I was doing something for myself, it would be scrappy and it would definitely have custom quilting 
all over it. And maybe even like, maybe I could take a, a, like do some hand beating. I always think maybe I'll do art quilts eventually, but not, not right now. Um, but, you know, I, I think I'd incorporate embellishments and as much technology as possible, as much, many new things as I could possibly get my hands on. I mean, I do couching. I do couching with um, digitized files, but I'd also have free motion in there because I like how digitized files work with free motion. So it'd be a little bit of everything, but on one quilt and I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, marketing a specific collection. I could just use whatever I wanted. <laughs> you know, I think a quilt was maybe the last thing I expected you to say. Oh, no, um, no, no. Oh, you mean non-quilting things? I'd oh, no, I just meant anything. like that. Is there life beyond quilting? <laughs> but um, I, pro- <laughs> I probably, gosh, I might take a painting class um, or cooking, painting or cooking, not cleaning. Oh, just oh, glass blowing. I'd like to learn how to blow glass, but nothing practical. I just want to make like pretty beads and stuff like that. <laughs> All right. Well, and I'm going to totally change directions. Um, okay. Because it occurs to me, how long have you been teaching? I'd say 10 years, but it's been significantly ramped up in the last five. Well, and what are some of the different places that you've taught? Well, most of the time I teach at Bernina dealers um, because of my affiliation with them as a spokesperson. Um, I do, uh, I'm going to Switzerland this year and teaching at their creative center there. So that's exciting. Um, uh, most of my venues are different dealers um, throughout the country and sometimes internationally, but most of the, mostly that's where I teach. I very seldom do shows, although I am at festival every year in Bernina's booth. So come see me if you're there. Well, and, um, you know, geographically speaking, you teach all over. Is mm-hmm. there a particular like geographic location you really enjoy more than you know, like just the favorite to go back to? Gosh, there's so many. I mean, a lot of it in this industry is about relationships. So I'm going to see the dealers and the students. And it's really nice when you go back over a period of years because you develop relationships with them. So I'd say it's not so much location. It's going back to see people. And, you know, a lot of times they've really improved their quilting skills because, um, you know, they've taken other classes or they've just really practiced. And it's kind of neat to see that. And then, of course, there's the dealer relationships because I've been very fortunate. You know, this industry has so many men and women, but a lot of women um, who have like, this is their second career, right? And they've really remade themselves. And um, I've had a lot of people in this industry who have been mentors for me um, that I have really enjoyed getting to know. Well, and then, Changing gears a little bit um, again, mm-hmm. I just wanted to tell me something about your books that you think your readers would be surprised to learn. That I complain to you that I don't want to do a book because I don't want to write an introduction. And that is <laughs> true because I hate writing. Like I, I actually, I, I'd rather draw a book and write the captions later. And then I complain about writing the captions. But um I really don't like writing that much. Um, and especially, you know, the, the intro stuff, you know, you wouldn't, what I mean that it's very global. 
I feel much that I'm a much better technical writer than creative writer. I'm not really a natural creative writer. And so like writing them is hard. It's hard. Uh, well, I have to say that for as, as difficult as you find it, I do find your introductions to be particularly well-written. <laughs> well, I have to like gear myself up for like two weeks, like to actually sit down and write. It's probably the only thing I procrastinate about, but I procrastinate I, in a big way about writing those introductions. <laughs> I know. I actually know when you're going to sit down and write an introduction because I usually get a series of texts that tell me that I should write it for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm like, so Roxanne, you convinced me to do this book. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know. We all have things we're more comfortable with. I think like, I don't know. I, I just think that's so much harder than the meat of the book for me. Like, How many have you written at this point? Um, gosh, I was trying to think back. I want to say it's, if you included the ones where like, you know, you guys know you have like um, some composite books where there's a bunch of authors. If you completed those, like included those little ones where I just have a chapter, it's probably about 10. Otherwise, I think books on my, uh, maybe seven. I don't know. I, I haven't counted them. Um, I kind of, you know, it took me a while to figure out uh, what I wanted to do as a book versus what I wanted to do as a pattern or what I wanted to teach. And I really found like, um, and something you said to me early on is, is it's, it's better um, for the books to support a lot of different products. And so I've tried to go in that direction. And I think that's why the, the quilting idea books have really sold well. That and um, there's a lot of pictures. So obviously where I don't like writing, people don't like reading. <laughs> so there's that. Well, and because of the types of books you've been doing recently, I think people might be interested in hearing a little bit about what actually goes to, goes into putting together a book. Okay, so um, can we take the Ruler Work Quilting Idea book as an example, I guess? Okay, so in that case, that was a book, and it was supposed to be a compendium of ideas, hence the title, um, that you could do with basic ruler shapes of any brand, basically. Now, I... I had started, this was um, actually developed before I had my line of rulers. So I developed it off um, of the shapes that Bernina included in their basic set they had at the time. And, um, but I meant it really to be shape related. And so basically I drew a ton of designs, like every design I could think of for those particular ruler shapes. So Obviously, like circles and straight lines, I feel are the most versatile of the rulers. So like any design I could think of, I did with those rulers, I drew it. So I had um, a bunch of drawings with the rulers, and then I did the step outs of that, how you build up to that. And then, as I said, I did the captions. I write my way through the captions. But really, the way I think of it and the way I like to use books is, is as a reference. So if I'm quilting, I want to be able to say, I have this ruler I have this border area. What can I do in the border? And so I approached it more like that as, as kind of a guide you'd have near your quilting area when you're quilting, regardless of whether you're quilting on a long arm or domestic. And um, I should go back and say that, like, you know, when I was waiting for the Bernina long arm to come out, I had years and years and years of quilting on a domestic. And at the time I thought, Oh, I can't wait for this long arm to come out. But I, I'm able to use that experience 
and draw on that experience when I'm writing the books, which has actually really helped me. Well, and how many illustrations do you think we ended up with in that book? I want to say there's at least 600. And did you do those first or did you write the text first? I always do the illustrations first because I'm <laughs> procrastinating about the text. Actually, I don't know. I, because I go backwards from the illustrations to the text, a lot of times I don't know how I'm going to break out, the, how many steps I'm going to use for the illustrations until I do the illustrations. So if I did the text first, it would become, you know, I'd have to go back and correct both things at once, which is confusing. So instead, I actually build it by building a spreadsheet of the illustrations as I'm building the illustrations. And I, I then take the spreadsheet and put it into the text and then make all the, you know, captions from there. So just because I'm kind of, I was privy to the process you followed on your more recent book, um, mm -hmm. the book you and I just did a photo shoot for, actually, that one is like almost a complete flip flop because it's not designed. It's entirely instruction. Right. So was it difficult for you to write all of the captions first and then go and fill in the images? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, basically, I mean, when you and I, because um, you're really good at guiding things in uh, guiding authors um, to to know how to approach something for something to be sellable. Right. Because sometimes when when you're the author, it can get really myopic. You can get really, um, you know, fixated on one part of the process and and forget even that you have to say this other thing. So one of the things you said to me early on is pretend you're teaching a class and basically like write the class. And that's kind of how I approached it. I wrote what I say, but of course you're still, you're trying to get the most, um, the photo shoot list, you're trying to get it as thorough as possible because you don't want to have to go back and reshoot it. All of those type of things are so expensive to do. So I know both you and I were paranoid we were going to leave something out, but luckily we had a really good photographer. So, <laughs> well, and I just just to clarify, I think I actually told you to pretend you were trying your best to teach me how to use rulers. Yeah, and actually, she, you were like, I know nothing about rulers, which was helpful because, like, you know, you would you would change when you walk into a classroom, you change the class based on the students in your room. So if I walked into classroom and everyone was intermediate in ruler work, I would teach a different class than I teach for beginners. And so it's really helpful to think about the audience when you're writing something, right? Yeah, I would have to imagine that you'd have to teach for quite a while before you're able to walk in and adapt a class on the fly. Yeah, that takes, it takes some time. That's why, you know, people ask, what's the hardest thing to teach? Well, the first time you teach anything or the second, that's the hardest because your pacing's not down, but also what can be exhausting is teaching the same class for like five days straight. Cause then you have to keep your energy level up and you forget what you've said to each classroom. But you know, what was helpful with you was that you were able to ask the questions that if, if you had a question, we just stopped film, filming and asked the question. So we were able to insert some things into the manuscript if it was unclear. We didn't do that a lot of times, but I think it's helpful to have that because actually you're way more detailed than I am, I feel like. <laughs> I'm, I'm just laughing because that's not always the case. You're, you're pretty detailed. Um, 
All right. And so, yeah, I just wondered, so in terms of what you're up to now, where can people find you or, or see what you're doing next? Okay. Well, on, on my blog, of course, I always have blog.amandamurphydesign.com. Um, and then I have a Facebook group that um, has quite a few people. It's called Quilting with Amanda Murphy. If you search for it, you can, you can find me there. And I'm in that group quite a bit. So like any new teaching dates, I always announce in that group. It's just, it's just easy to get information to a lot of people that way. You can find me on Instagram at Amanda Murphy Design. Um, so that's another way to find me. And, uh, I, Gosh, I'm trying to think. Well, we'll have a new book this summer for CNT, so you'll see that probably on your blog coming up. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then, is there anything exciting coming up that you can share? Well, I can tell you this is this is airing around the time of Quilt Market, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I can tell you, I have two new collections for Quilt Market. Uh, one is called. Um, one is I had Jubilee fabric um, last year that I designed to commemorate. Bernina's um, 125th anniversary, which was a huge, huge honor. I got to do a quilt for it, et cetera. And that line is coming out. It was gold because, of course, it was gold anniversary. Um, but it's coming out in silver. Um, so that will be showing at Quilt Market. And then also um, Nightingale, which is another collection. And it's really pretty. It has like some navies and plums and then some bright, um, like lighter greens and pinks and oranges. That will be coming at Quilt Market. And then I have a collection I can't talk about for Bernina University um, on its heels. But uh, I will say, I can tell you that I also have some new rulers coming out this summer. So my quilting rulers um, for Brewer Sewing, they have been out in long arm thickness for a long time. They're going to come out in low shake thickness for different machines. And then also I have two new shapes coming out this summer. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I have an embroidery collection coming out that's later this summer. And then, of course, you guys know, I have um, a new free motion quilting idea book coming out. So that's this summer, too. Um, so those are kind of um, all the things I'm working on. And then, of course, you know, it feels it feels so funny to be talking about things because a lot of times you're six months ahead of what you say publicly. So of course I'm drawing my things for fall market and things like that too. It's just, it's just always interesting. So you're saying that now is a good time for me to hit you up for another book, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, I do that myself. That's the problem, right? <laughs> it's never a problem. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for taking the time to talk and Good luck with the next several months. I know they're going to be particularly busy, but I look forward to catching up with you at Spring Market. Yes, thank you. And I'll see you very soon. Thank you to Amanda Murphy for taking time to talk with me. It's always a pleasure. You can find Amanda on her website and social media. Links are in the episode description. If you enjoyed listening to Behind the Seams, be sure to share it with your friends, leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, be sure to tune into the third episode.